Ah, good morning. It's great to be with you again. I've titled uh, today's message, Loving Others and Using Spiritual Gifts. Uh, I have always been amazed by the church, and I'm amazed how the church works. I'm amazed at how, in some ways, church can be so simple, and in other ways, so complex. I mean, you know, we all come to church with different expectations of what we want to get out of it and uh, what we expect from church. And yet, all of us need to be loved. And my desire is, when we come to church, somehow or other we experience God's love for each of us personally, amongst all the other things that might carry on and happen during church. But invariably, the way that we experience love is because somebody loves us and somebody is kind to us. So when we come to church, we want to be well received. We want to be liked. We want to be loved. But it's, we also want to create an environment where you too can love somebody else and uh, come to church expecting to try and be used by God by loving somebody. And when we look at that in conjunction with some of the powerful things that can happen in church, some of the supernatural things, quite honestly, that can happen in church, church can get uh, very exciting. Uh, I remember, uh, for instance, uh, a few years ago, we had uh, two Indian families part of the church. And as it happened, uh, the wives were more into church than the husbands. Uh, but they were they were keen on coming. They just weren't super enthusiastic. And then one Sunday, we experienced the power of God in a way that was really wonderful. Uh, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, somebody's hand or finger was miraculously healed while we prayed for them. And they could do something with their finger that they couldn't do before. And then at the end of the service, this, the, the Indian guy came to me and he was such a big smile on his face. He was so excited. He said, this was just the most fantastic service. I just absolutely loved it. Now, are you going to be doing healing again next week? <laughs> and I, I thought, this is the perfect question that he asked. Because yes, I can understand, like him, that it's exciting when we see God move in power. But on the other hand, it's like, it's not up to me, and it's up to God, will he or won't he? And it's mysterious. We can only ask God and pray for things and uh, expect to be used by God, but we can't sort of make a formula out of it and know exactly when God will or won't be used, uh, be using us. So, you know, I, I look at the mix of church, and I think this is just such an, an unusual uh, organization where people from different nationalities and languages and expectations and age groups and stages of life, we all come together and somehow or other it works. And when church is working really well, people feel loved and they connect with God and they connect with each other and it's a uplifting experience. And so we're always working towards that. We're actually working intentionally towards creating unity in the church where we love each other and we experience God's power, but we can be unified 
around Jesus. And so as we look at uh, Scripture, and I want to look today at a particular section in 1 Corinthians. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. And it really brings together this idea of how do we experience God's love and, and make that central? But at the, on the other hand, how do we also desire God's gifts and really press into uh, the gifts that God wants to give us so that we can love each other well and uh, be a, a great church? Let me just uh, pray before we jump in. Lord, I just pray that uh, right this Sunday, this service, uh, right now, you would impart your power. Uh, Lord, that you would release the supernatural, uh, that you would do things that only you can do. Uh, so, Lord, I just pray that, uh, you know, maybe you give us prophetic words or uh, release uh, speaking in tongues or uh, do mir miraculous healings. Uh, surprise us, Lord. Uh, we just open it up to you. And I just ask you, Lord, to just empower my preaching that I can explain your desires for us as a church and make it clear. And so, Lord, I just uh, lift up your people today and I thank you for each one of them. And I thank you for the love that I've received from, uh, from the members of this church. And Lord, I just pray that they too can experience your love today as I'm preaching. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to uh, just highlight two verses uh, to kick us off here. The one is 1 Corinthians 14.1. It says this, Let love be your highest goal. Let love be your highest goal. Which is kind of interesting because we don't think of making love a goal. It sort of just happens. But this verse is saying, let love be your highest goal. And then the other verse is 1 Corinthians 12, 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. And I want to really talk about these two thoughts. Love being your highest goal and having a spiritual gift or using spiritual gifts and desiring spiritual gifts so that we can love each other. Church is indeed... Uh, you know, messy because we are all individuals and we all have our flaws and our different desires. And yet we can be, we can experience a certain amount of unity uh, in Christ, uh, in the prophetic, in the giving of the gifts and experiencing uh, the differences that God has for us. In other words, there's a sense of unity in the church, but it's not uniformity. God has given each person a different gift, but they all come together so that we can love each other and be used by God. And uh, it's a great thing when church is going well and you can be used and you can be loved and you loving somebody else. So this block of scripture, chapters 12 through 14, it starts uh, obviously in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, with Paul uh, responding this whole letter is Paul responding to questions that the Corinthians, the church, the people in the church are asking Paul. And this is how, let me just read it to you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now, dear brothers and sisters, 
Regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. Okay, so clearly they were a church that were operating in a lot of special giftings, but they were having challenges with it. Actually, kind of a fun church. I think I would have liked to have been part of the church in Corinth, quite honestly, because it was kind of chaotic, uh, but things were happening, and uh, it, it, things seemed to be like growing. It just sounds like even in the chaos, there was life and real life, uh, and they were sort of pushing on the edge of, of ministry. But to really get a feel of the problems that they were experiencing, it's super helpful to understand the culture and the settings. In fact, I think if you don't understand the culture and the settings, a lot of what the Apostle Paul is saying gets a little lost on us. So Corinth geographically was situated uh, in a really important trade route, uh, sort of near Athens, and uh, it was a city that was somewhat new. Uh, it had been growing rapidly. Uh, it was one of the major cities in the Roman Empire. I mean, it was like the place where you wanted to be, uh, where things were culturally significant, a lot of money. Uh, it was a place that things were happening. But it's also had a lot of, uh, like any place, traditions that it's surrounded by and culture that it's surrounded by. But what was particularly uh, important was just across the sea, across the bay, was a place called Delphi. And at Delphi, there was a temple to Apollos that was like really famous. And over a few hundred years before the church in Corinth was started, this temple was sought out. And it was sought out by kings. It was sought out by army generals. It was sought out by people coming to essentially get a word, uh, a prophecy, if you would, uh, some supernatural revelation about a question that they had in their life, whether to go to war or whatever domestic questions they might have had. And they had a, a priestess there that would give sort of words of wisdom to the, the person. And so there's some similarities because what's happening is the church in Corinth, it seems like, has adopted a lot of problematic pagan culture into their church. And Paul is sort of correcting him, saying, look, you want to emphasize the good, but you want to get rid of the stuff which is problematic. So the way this, this temple worked in those days was as follows. If you wanted to get a word, if you wanted to get some instruction, some wisdom, you had to come along and you had to make an offering, uh, some animal sacrifice. And then if your sacrifice was deemed to be acceptable, uh, you were ushered into a, like a waiting room. And this was super popular. I mean, there was huge lines of people wait, waiting to get in there. And then all of those that got into this uh, special waiting room uh, would then have their requests written in lead on a tablet. And this would then be uh, sort of presented. And they've discovered these 
tablets uh, in archaeological digs. And then there was like the inner room, the special room. Now, you weren't allowed to go into that special room. Uh, that was just for the priestess and the scribe. Now, the other thing you want to know is only males were allowed into this temple. And only a female was the prophetess that would give instruction. Now, when this temple was really at its height, they had three different uh, prophetesses that were giving these words. Now, the prophetess had to be over 50 years old and a peasant. In other words, totally uneducated. And uh, what would happen is she would then go through her own little ritual of washing and drinking water uh, and then eating uh, uh, grape leaves. And then she'd sit on this chair that was over a gap in the rock. And what was coming up from the rock underneath was this gas. And she would sit there and she would inhale the gas and she would uh, eventually start um, saying whatever she was going to say. And then the scribe would take notes of what she was saying. And soon it should be just saying unintelligible things. It was like she's just speaking in weird languages and whatever. And the scribe would have to interpret what he thought she might be saying. And then whatever the outcome was, you'd then give that to the inquirer. And then the inquirer would leave often totally perplexed, like there'd be a strange uh, answer or even conflicting answers or whatever, but their job was done. And they just go through person after person. Uh, but obviously, uh, they'd been right a few times because people were flocking there in their droves. Now, the similarities here for Corinth and the church in Corinth were a few. And one of them was that people there were speaking in tongues. And it was just like in Delphi. It's like this prophetess is saying all these things and it's hardly understand. People don't understand it. And then there were other people in Corinth which were in the church which were interpreting what the people were saying in tongues and it was super helpful. It was like really accurate. It was really, this is, from the God, this is from God. And other people were prophesying, meaning they were getting words from God and they were saying things to the church. They were really helpful to the church. It was like God was speaking through them and encouraging them and uplifting them and correcting them. And it, it was a blessing. But it was also chaotic because people weren't exactly waiting their turn. Uh, people's egos had kind of taken over. People were like feeling super important because they now could prophesy and others were feeling pretty impressed of themselves because they could speak in tongues or speak in strange languages that they didn't even know what they were saying. Uh, and in the midst of all of this, it seems like the women were particularly um, problematic because they were taking on the role, so to speak, of the prophetess uh, and wanted to be like the center of attraction. And so Paul is trying to 
help them out and give them some <laughs> instructions on how to get meaning out of the chaos. Because clearly there was chaos, but also clearly God was doing something. And uh, so Paul is saying, okay, this is the way we need to uh, figure this out. But let me back up for a second. Let me read 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11, where Paul is talking about these supernatural abilities. And then uh, let me try and explain them a little. It says a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Okay, just let that sink in. God has given you a spiritual gift. And he's given it to you so that you can help somebody in this church or even outside of the church. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. And this can be wise advice because the person's just smart in what he knows. Or it can be wise advice because God is also inspiring this person to give wise counsel, maybe even above his ability to do so. To another person by the same spirit, uh, God gives a special message of knowledge. So, guy can say something. It's uh, it's different from being uh, having a wise saying. Uh, he's saying something. It's like a gift of knowledge. He knows an insight about you and your situation that you perhaps wouldn't have known. The same spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from some other spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is one and the, the only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should get. So, summarizing, God desires to give each of us spiritual gifts. And some of these gifts have supernatural abilities. I mean, only God can do the things that God is giving people the ability to do. Uh, we don't have the ability to pray for somebody and heal them. Uh, we don't have the ability to do miracles. Only God can do that. Uh, but God is saying he wants to use us and he uses us uh, in these, these ways. So, you know, some people have the ability to be used by God for healing. And when you pray for someone, they get healed. And I believe God wants to use all of us, actually, at some point, to heal or to prophesy or, or to do these things, although some people seem to like have it more regularly. It's like a gifting that God just seems to have given them. Others seems to be it's just circumstance, like in this particular moment for this particular person, and you're praying, God gives you the ability to do it. Uh, so, yes, it's a little mysterious. But just because it's mysterious and just because we can't, fully comprehend it doesn't mean that we need to dispel it. In fact, we need to do the exact opposite. God is telling us we need to encourage it. We need to be asking God and seeking God and, and 
praying for people. And of course, you know, when you pray for somebody to be healed, it's great when they get healed. Uh, but when you pray for the next five people and none of them get healed, it's easy to get despondent and say, ah, I'm not gifted in this. But that's not the right attitude. The right attitude is to continually be asking God and continue to pray for people in love and saying, God, I really want to see this person helped by you and healed by you. And by praying for them, and hopefully, even if the person's not healed, hopefully in the process, the person feels loved, like you care about them and you want them to be better. And the person can sense that. But obviously, we want to see God actually heal people or actually give a prophetic word, which would be something God wants to say to us, that it's going to help us and encourage us. Uh, and then tongues. Now, I want to just hang here for a little bit. So there's really tongues has confused a lot of people. And for much of the church, their stance has been, look, we don't understand all these spiritual gifts. They're way too confusing. We can't control them. So we just don't believe in them. And we're just not going to practice them. There's a big swath of the church that has that attitude. And, you know, then they've backpedaled a theological way to explain why they believe that. Uh, then there's another big swath of the church which says, you know, we believe in all this stuff, but they're just not doing anything about it. And then there's another arm of the church, which would say the charismatic arm, and Stephen touched on this last week, which is saying, hey, we want to actually lean into this. We want to uh, try and get better at this and uh, invite these uh, experiences. So one of those is speaking in tongues, which if you're new to this, uh, this is just really odd. Uh, and it's odd because we can just turn it on and turn it off if God is giving you this gift uh, whenever you like. I mean, I can, I can start talking tongues now. Now, is that helpful to you? No, it just sounds like crazy gibberish. Uh, but actually, God is saying you should desire this. Now, before I talk about the different types of tongues, let me just say this gets confused for two reasons. One, sometimes when we have the gift of tongues, it's more like prophecy, like you say something in a language that's an actual language. And somebody else sitting in the audience recognizes it and can interpret it. And I experienced that uh, not very often. I'll say that. But in one powerful setting, a lady stood up in church and in perfect French, of which she didn't know a single word of French, she started speaking. And she kind of flushed and she sat back down, had no clue what she'd said. And somebody else in the congregation knew French and explained exactly what she had said. And it was right on for what we needed to hear at the church at that particular time. It was really powerful. So that would be a tongue with an interpretation. But in most cases, speaking in tongues is really like a prayer language. Uh, I've got 10 things that you should know about tongues from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So just going through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, these 10 things jump out about tongues. So let me just read them to you quickly. 
uh, it's talking to God. You'll find that in verse 2. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. It, strength, it strengthens you personally. So clearly, just on those three, we should desire this. If we can talk to God and it strengthens us, why wouldn't we want that? We should. The Apostle Paul wishes every Christian could speak in tongues. When you are praying in tongues, your spirit is praying. It's a way of giving thanks in a private prayer way. Paul thanks God that he speaks in tongues. It's a sign for unbelievers if they interpret it. Not for the public church service, because if you're just babbling out in tongues, people are like, you're crazy, what's going on here? And lastly, churches should not forbid speaking in tongues. Verse 39. So, there's quite a lot there to be said about speaking in tongues. Prophecy, miracles. But in context, chapter 12 is sandwiched with chapter 14, and in the middle is chapter 13. And chapter 13 is just one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. It's really this awesome passage on love. And it's in context talking about using these gifts, the gifts of prophecy, the gifts of speaking in tongues, and focusing on love. I'm going to read the whole uh, chapter to you. It's actually not too long. And it's super popular in weddings in some ways, for good reason. Uh, it's kind of always comical to me because often, uh, in context, people trying to get to this, uh, mentioning tongues and prophecy, and it's like, okay, this is a wedding. Uh, but it's such an awesome piece of scripture that they just know they've got to get First Corinthians 13. If I could speak all the languages on earth and of angels, okay, Paul referring to tongues, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Okay, so right off the bat, Paul says, these gifts are great, but if that's all I can do, it's useless. I need to be loved. I need to be loving. There needs to be love, needs to be a big ingredient here. If I had the gift of prophecy and understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge... And if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. Okay, so clearly Paul is hammering away at the people's egos that were prophesying and they just thought they were really great and they were talking over everybody else and you know, all attention was on them. And Paul is saying, listen, I don't care how great the things are that you're doing. I don't care if you can heal people and if you don't have love you got nothing. Love is not just necessary, it's essential. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. I mean, it's so easy to sacrifice and to like, okay, let me give all my money to the poor or let me give a chunk to the poor and it'll make me feel really, really good. I mean, I don't really care about them. I just want to feel really, really good. No, Paul is saying, unless there's love involved here, your sacrifice is useless. 
I mean, you really need to love the person. You got to do it because you're trying to make a difference in someone's life and love them. And then the famous words that are used in appropriately, obviously, in a wedding. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even if even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. In other words, when Jesus returns or when we join Jesus, love is what will endure. We no longer need prophecy when we have Jesus who's revealing everything for us. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned like a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling, puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. Yes, friends, we do look forward to the day that we are with Jesus. The pain is gone and everything is perfectly clear. All that I know is now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So friends, what does this mean to you and me? So what? Well, it means a great deal. It means that we should get together with the expectation that we can be loved in church and that we can be loving. We should get together the expectation that God has given us gifts and we need to use the gifts. And we need to do it in a way that is unifying for the church and loving. Uh, everything that we do, if we're doing it with love, we'll be doing it with the thought of, does this bring, does this add value? Does this bring unity? Does this bring us towards Christ? And when it does, it, it is just, church is just the most fantastic place to be. Uh, it, it's, it's awesome. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. Okay, so God is saying, we need to desire these things. And when we desire it, God will give it to us. But the point is love. So let me just uh, end this way. As we go into worship, why don't you ask the Lord? Maybe he'll give you a prophecy. Maybe he'll give you something that you can share with the body. And you could uh, write that out in an email and send it to, to me or Stephen or, or Sarah. And if it's something for a church, it'll be very helpful. 
On the other hand, maybe you've never spoken in tongues and you desire to speak in tongues. Why don't you ask the Lord for that gift? And in fact, you can even pair you up with somebody that'll pray with you afterwards and they can pray for you. And even, you know, remotely, God can give you the ability to speak in tongues. And I pray that he does. Our job is to eagerly desire them. And then we got to ask somebody to help us, to pray with us, or ask the Lord directly. But friends, let me end and say, I really love you. Uh, being part of the church has been the best part of my life, the best thing in my life, because it's amazing how we can experience each other, uh, the love of each other, the, the common love for Jesus. It's amazing when God does supernatural things in our midst. It's amazing when we pray and God answers our prayers. It's amazing when our life goes well because we can experience the joy and the love that God and Jesus has for us. And it's amazing when we are dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit to change circumstances for the better and experience that change. I pray that for you today as well. If you don't know Jesus, that's the starting point. Ask Jesus into your life. If you've walked as a Christian for a number of years, ask Jesus to empower you again afresh with the Holy Spirit. It's simple. Jesus, come into my life. I am a sinner. I am not worthy to be your child. But by believing in you, the Bible tells me I can become your child. I can experience your spirit living within me. And it's easy to say, God, empower me fully with your Holy Spirit. I welcome your spirit in me today. Use me, God. Give me the gifts that you desire to give me. And give me the, the faith to be able to step out and use the gift that you've given me. Great to have been with you today. Bless you all. Bless you all.